Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. Every Monday when a new show airs, I say the show's tagline, for women who are unafraid to age out loud. We are aging out loud because we recognize that our age stands for something. Lived wisdom, experience, perspective, knowledge. Our age is a core part of who we are. But the reality of aging in our society, of aging out loud, or even aging quietly is complicated, especially in our workplaces, because there is one form of discrimination, one ism, that every single one of us will face someday, ageism, and it is especially prevalent in the workplace. My guest today is on a mission to bring age inclusivity to the modern workplace and to shine a spotlight on the corrosive problem of ageism. An advertising and communications executive and public board director, Patty Temple Rocks is also the author of I'm Still Not Done, It's Time to Talk About Ageism in the Workplace. Patty joins me today to dive into the cost of ageism, how it impacts both people, businesses, and the bottom line, and to share what we can all do to get on the right side of addressing and eradicating ageism from our culture and workplaces. If you've ever thought, I'm too old for that, or worried that your age is sidelining you in your career, this is a conversation you don't want to miss. Welcome, Patty. Thank you very much, and thank you for that fabulous introduction. I'm so fired up to talk about this now. <laughs> well, good. I am fired up as well. And, you know, you and I both know this, right? The simple truth is that we all get older, uh, regardless of our gender or sexual preference, race, religion, any other markers that people often use to sort of separate uh, people from one another. To be born is to age, right? But as a society, we we see that we're working to combat racism, sexism. You know, uh, of course, we're doing this with varying degrees of success, uh, but it is still a conversation. People know that they need to be working on these issues. Why is ageism the very last ism to persist and to persist so openly? That's a great question. I mean, I think there are lots of contributing factors, but, you know, one of them is simply our sort of societal, the way that we were brought up to think that it's impolite to ask about age or to, you know, talk about age. And and we've just been kind of led to believe that as a result of that, it must be a bad thing, you know, to get older. And we watch you know, we go to movies or we watch TV or we see commercials and we tend to mostly see younger, beautiful people. I mean, that's get, that's getting better with, you know, body positivity and age inclusivity. We're seeing things a little bit more, but um, it is still, I think, the last bastion where um, it has just sort of been allowed to persist because we simply don't talk about it. And especially at the workplace, um, I think we're not talking about it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think when you said the word commercial, you really, you you jogged a thought in me, which is, I, you know, I do think part of the reason why we receive so many negative cultural messages around aging is that because we live in a capitalist country that wants to sell us stuff. So, you know, we're, we're right. being, we're being, we're being sold uh, lotions and potions and things and uh, services to kind of keep us eternally young. And, and that is something that seems to be desirable. And um, that kind of that, that helps us, you know, you know, fear aging. And, 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 and you know, there's so many consumer messages around why it's it's terrible to get older. Um, but, you know, you are, are addressing this head on. You are pushing back against this negative nar- narrative. You are um, addressing the elephant in the room. 
Was there one particular spark that uh, sort of lit your fire that made you write your book? Well, it was one particular spark that sort of started my awareness, I would say. And then, you know, a second one that was the actual book writing. So I, you know, like most of us who are, you know, happily, somewhat ignorantly, like coming up in the workplace, we just don't pay attention because it seems so far away and that it's not going to happen to us. So I was not really aware of ageism, you know, in the various jobs that I've had. If somebody retired, I presume they retired because they wanted to, or, you know, in my 25 year old brain at 50, they see, you know, oh, they got to retire. Lucky them. They're old, you know, like, and then all of these things change as we get <laughs> And then you got older. to, and then Patty, you got to be 50. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, but, but honestly, what happened first is that my, I, at the time I was working for a woman who had been a mentor of mine for, you know, a long time and we'd become, you know, good friends over the years. I knew her extraordinarily well. She was given a position, the first, you know, sort of woman to break through the glass ceiling in this particular organization had, you know, was killing it. And all of a sudden, I just started to notice that I would be in a meeting that she normally would have been in, but she hadn't been invited to the meeting. Or, um, you know, it was like a decision would have been made. And I said, well, you know, what did so-and-so have to say about this? Well, we didn't ask, you know, and I thought, it just didn't make any sense to me. And I happened to be at a cocktail party, work-related thing that night with our CEO, who was her boss, and said, you know, hey, I, I can't help but notice what's going on. What can I do or what's really happening? And his response to me was twofold. And the first one was, well, don't you see this could be good for you? And I was just sort of like, oh, gross. Are you telling me that like her, like this, I can have her job? Like that's not, no, like that's not what I want. But then the second thing he said is what truly blew my mind and set me on this path was he said, you know, she's been here a long time. I think maybe she's just tired. And I I had no conception that that word tired was like a euphemism for age at all. I just knew it was a falsehood. You know, there was like nothing about this woman that was tired. Like she wasn't tired, you know, she had more energy than like 10 people that I knew and, and, you know, put together. So that's when I just thought, okay, something else is going on. And ultimately, you know, she was sort of asked to take an early retirement package and she did. And, you know, I'm happy to report on her side, happy ending, you know, went on to serve on a couple more public boards and is doing just fine. But it just, I was awake, like, okay, this, if this could happen to her at the top of her game, you know, it could happen to me. And so I then, and I'm, I should get my, I think I was about 50 um, when this happened to her and she was about 56 or seven. And so I started wanting to do some research. My whole thing was, I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen to me. I'm going to be prepared so that nobody ever, you know, calls me tired. Um, I'll have already moved on, but I didn't realize at the time that was a flaw in my thinking. And so I read what I could and there were all sorts of books about, you know, reinvent yourself for your next chapter and think about what you might want to do. And maybe you've always loved the garden and you can turn that into, you know, a career. You might open a garden center or you might go or, you know, and and full, the world was full of examples. The internet and books were full of examples like that. And at the time, again, I'm in, I'm 50, I'm thinking, I'll be ready. You know, that's a good idea. What is my gardening is not my thing, but like, what is my gardening? What is something that I might want to do? But as you said, Katie, and then it happened to me. 
And it happened to me at a time when I was completely unprepared for, for it. And it, I was, you know, offered sort of a nothing job. It's, I won't bore you with the long story, but it was, you know, designed because they needed to kind of make room for somebody to have my job and not enough consideration was given to the job for me. And I knew I didn't want to take it. And so I didn't, and I left. And that's when I just started to get fired up about this ageism thing, because I thought I have nothing against people who want to reinvent themselves for a second act, but that should be my choice, my timing when I'm ready to go do something that is completely different. But here I am at the top of my game. Nobody has ever given me any indication that I'm not at the top of my game. I just became inconvenient. And now this was a few years later. At this point, I'm 56, I think. And my then boss made the mistake when I didn't graciously say, oh, thank you for this position and said, no, thanks. I don't want it. I had, you know, I kind of created a problem for him. And so out of frustration, he just said to me, well, how much longer do you want to work anyway? Um, Which was a signal to me that, oh, wow, someone without any participation on my part has determined that in my upper 50s, I'm nearing the end of my sort of timestamp here, you know, and I want to be in charge of that. And so, you know, the main reason that I'm so focused on the workplace is because I say this all the time, it's not you it's them. Like you didn't do anything wrong. All you did was age, which as you said, the minute we're born, that's what we, we start do. To age, it's the most natural and we thing don't, in the world. And aging means we didn't die, which should be celebrated. You know, it's like <laughs> a good thing. Um, so why, you know, why don't I get to be as in control of the end of my career as I tried to be at the beginning of my career? So my whole, you know, thing was, I just want the business world to sort of wake up and change and realize that, People can contribute to the, don't ever assume that somebody might be ready for their career to end at any point in time, because it's unique and individual as we are. And some people may be, you know, I I talk to some people sometimes and they would say, I'm sure done. And I'd be like, well, good for you. Like if you're done and want to move on, that's great. I just want it to be your choice. I want it to be my choice. I want all of us to have the choice to say, yep, I'm finished with this career. I'm ready to move on to a different we're gonna, Patty, we're heading into a quick break, but when we come back, I want to explore this notion of choice and what we can do to ensure that we have it. We'll be back after this quick break. Have you ever successfully set someone up on a date? In my 53 years, I've only ever made one successful match for a friend, which is why I'm so eager to introduce you to the nonprofit Let's Talk Menopause, because I know this is a relationship that's going to work. Let's Talk Menopause is changing the conversation around menopause so women get the information they need and the healthcare they deserve. Understanding menopause is a lot like solving a tough jigsaw puzzle, as there are so many pieces. Menopause can have over 34 symptoms, insomnia, joint pain, low libido, difficulty sleeping, irritability, mood swings, fatigue, brain fog, painful sex, urinary leaks. It is a long list. Visit their website, letstalkmenopause.org, to find all the tools you need the 101s to understanding the physical and mental menopausal changes, information about their public ad campaigns and advocacy work, a downloadable symptoms checklist to share with your doctor, and so much more. Visit letstalkmenopause.org. 
together, we can change the change. Patty, we're back from the break. When we headed into it, we talked about the notion of choice, which really resonates with me. You know, we all want to be uh, in charge of how we're how we're living our lives, how we're continuing to add value to the the workplace. So, I want to ask you specific uh, questions around what we can do as workers to. Um, Make sure we have that choice. You talked about your friend who, you know, uh, was given that code word of being tired. We hear other code words sometimes about older workers are set in their ways or not innovative. You know, what are some of the myths about older workers um, and how do we protect ourselves from falling victim to these myths and misperceptions? Yeah, there's, you know, you mentioned a couple of, I mean, one of my favorites is, you know, I need a digital, digital native, you know, is something and, you know, older people just can't be digital natives. Well, all digital native means is I was, I was born at a certain time when I don't know a world without a smartphone in my hand, or I'm very comfortable with social media because, you know, that's sort of how I lived in my childhood. And it it doesn't mean that older people can't be successful and participate in a digital world. And in fact, sometimes older workers bring, you know, I I remember when we went to email and trying to get people to communicate, you know, important information over email versus, you know, a letter that got sent in the mail or, or you know, in the really bold days got sent overnight mail, you know, and, and, and some of the skills that we learn when we're getting people to switch from one type of communication to another are, you don't have to be of that change to understand how to communicate the change. So I think it's also like a myth to think that just because this technology might be new, an older person can't sort of bring value and getting other people to embrace it and understand it. Absolutely. Especially with technology, Patty, because I mean, technology is made so that toddlers can use it, basically. I mean, it's never, it's never been easier to use technology. It's never been easier to learn new things. We all have Google. You could figure out how to use any kind of technology. So that's, you know, that's something that people need to do. They need to make sure. And you have to do. And I was just going to make that point. You know, you said, what are the things that we can do to make sure it happens? Like it, it is not. So I'm, you know, I want there to be a world when we all get to sort of be part of the narrate the narration about when our final um, job is going to happen. You know, and and what that is and where that is. But that but that's not an entitlement. Like you don't you don't. I'm not fighting for that because I think, you know, that it's just should come out of a thank you payment, so to speak, for all those years of of contributions you made up until then. Now you get to just sort of coast and hang on for the last ten ten years. No, you have to be. Um, in it to win it, you know, every step of the way. And I would give the same advice to a 25 year old as I would a 55 year old. Stay current, stay relevant, understand what's happening in your industry at your company. Um, be thirsty to learn, be thirsty to know, you know, I, um, I do know that sometimes there are, are certain things that like, even in my own career, like I would literally, you know, it was important for me to understand TikTok when it first came out, but I didn't get it. I'm like, why are all, you like, help me understand that. But I would not dismiss it. I would just try to sit down with some of the younger people in my organization and say, can you talk to me about TikTok? Help me understand that. Like what, you know, who, how, who influences you and why and what, you know, and so we have to constantly, um, whatever that might be. And that's, you know, I'm giving you an example from my background, which is marketing, but there are those kinds of examples everywhere. You know, if you're a physician, you have to understand you can't deny telehealth. 
you know, you sure. have to learn. You have to evolve to and you have to yeah, see. You what have the- to understand how that. So, so I would just, you know, say, number one, that's something that we all have to do to make sure it doesn't happen to us is stay in the game so that you are valued and valuable up until the very end. Yes. And, and you, that you've got to put also, the work in. Yeah. you got to put the work in. And and that you also have to put the work in on yourself. And, you know, we, we sort of can't deny, um, I don't know, gravity is the word that's coming to my mind and that might not be the right thing, but it, our, our bodies do change as we get older. Our, we have to work a little bit harder to stay physically healthy. And so I have seen too many people choose not to focus on that for whatever reason, too busy, too old, too this, too that. And, you know, I would say that remaining, I love the word vitality, um, it, it, to just re- retain your vitality in the workforce requires also taking care of yourself, you know, and, and staying as strong. And obviously there's things that happen, you know, like illness can befall us or, you know, injuries or things like that. So I'm not saying that the only people that are going to survive in this older workforce are healthy, fit people. Um, But I do believe that the more that we do to give ourselves every advantage we can have, the higher the likelihood is that we're going to be able to keep our jobs. Yeah, that's a very, uh, very, two very common sense, practical tips, which I love, Patty. Thank you. You know, work hard to remain, you know, current and relevant and marketable, keep your skills fresh, growth mindset, and also take care of yourself for the long haul so that you can, ha- you know, be as vital uh, in your career as you want. So thank thank you for that. What would you say to somebody who um, is concerned that they're too old? I, I, in my day job, I hear this from clients a lot. Everyone feels they work in the most ageist industry. I know you've, you've worked in the ad industry in the past. Um, people who work in tech, fashion, beauty, et cetera, everyone feels that their industry is the most ageist. How how would you coach a listener to see their age and experience as assets and not liabilities? I I, I would honestly literally just say that. Like just it is an asset and not a liability. And you just need like you've been brainwashed. You've been in this business so long that you are starting to believe the narrative that other people are telling. It is not true. Like what what can you, you know, contribute? I I ended up going back to the, after I wrote my first book, um, you know, left that job where I felt pushed out, wrote my book. I ended up going back into the agency world, which was not planned or something that I thought, but it, it sort of, I was given an opportunity, less money. You know, I admit that I took less money, but it was also allowed me to work supposedly less hours that didn't always work out as well, but so that I could focus on agentism, at least part of my time. So I was very much like, this is, I wrote this book. I want to keep doing things, but I think I can help you. Well, little did I know the pandemic was going to happen, you know, six months later. And I have never felt more grateful for every gray hair in my head than I was during that pandemic, because Sure, I might not have been, you know, as savvy about TikTok or some of these other things, but I was talking to clients who didn't really weren't in powers of or positions of power during 9-11. And I said, well, when 9-11 happened, here's what we thought the business world was going to do. And here's how we got at it. Or when the dot com, you know, like we've been through these economic things before, and this is what I remember happening then. And, you know, it. In a time without crisis, sometimes that can be 
accepted by others as, oh my God, won't she shut up? I know, I know you've been there. You're all, you know, in this new world that we're living in, people are hungry for experience that can help them navigate the tumultuous times that we're all living in. So I would mostly just tell anybody that says, I think I'm too old for this job. Really? What part? Like, let's talk about that because there are probably, you know, eight things that you're not doing today that you could do that would contribute value. Maybe you don't want to be a road warrior anymore and go, and that's fair. Like, again, like there is nothing wrong with reaching a certain point in our career where we don't want to do some of the things that we might've wanted to do when we were younger. I always say like in the biggest gift that I have in my older career is like, I don't sort of tolerate bullshit anymore. I say what I think because I'm not afraid, you know, sure. I'm at the, I'm at the end. I'm not afraid of, Ooh, you know, I might offend so-and-so or they, you know, I, and so what you get from an older worker often is just truth telling. And there are way too few truth tellers in the workplace. There are way too many people that think before they speak, what does this person want to hear? Absolutely. Um, but I love I love I love what you shared about, you know, you the, the, that's the lived wisdom that you've lived through uh, dynamic, fluid um, changes in the business world, that you're bringing that perspective that you're able to share, um, you know, and that you the information that that helps navigate these new challenges, because you know that's why multi-generational teams seem to succeed, because there are everyone's bringing maybe a different skill. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, what are some of the costs to a business who who are not embracing those those multi generational teams? What are they losing out when they when they fire that layer of experience and, and lived wisdom? Well, you know, for, first let's not dismiss a very real cost, which is you know, ageism is also protected by law, so it can it costs a lot of money to businesses who actually are you know, overtly practicing ageism. It costs money, you know, in settlements, in legal fees, in lost productivity time, because now you've got everybody in your HR team having to run around and do interviews and recreate things. But there is also this um, this unsort of articulated cost sometimes, which is that everybody knows when something like this is happening. It's not ever secret. Your organization is aware that this is happening. And so even the youngest of people are watching what's happening to the older people and thinking less of you as a result of that. So it it can cost you positive employee morale, you know, and sort of engagement. And, but at, you know, and so those I think are sort of dire costs, you know, that can happen. Um, but then I think there's also this much harder quantify cost of sort of lost opportunity of like magic happening. Um, and, and that magic happens when exactly as you said, Katie, when you bring these multi-generational people together, everybody has a different perspective. And, you know, who, who among us hasn't been in a conversation where, you know, you start with the kernel of something and somebody adds another kernel and somebody adds something else. And somebody says, well, this would never work. I don't think because, you know, this is going to, you know, turn off this group of people or, you know, and so over time you have ended up creating something that is sort of indestructible (laughs) 
because it has been contributed to by so many different voices, literally and figuratively. And when you, you know, sort of dismiss any group for that matter, same thing with younger people. Well, they don't know enough, you know, to say anything. And, you know, ageism can slice both ways and you can create an environment where people, you know, in their third, you know, under 30 are afraid to speak up until their boss says something. And that's toxic as well, you know. So you just want to create an environment where um, you know, sort of all opinions and experiences are welcome and um, absolutely because inclusive you know, workplaces, you know, you know, in order for a workplace to thrive, people need to be feel supported and included. And all of the isms get in the way of that. Racism, classism, sexism, and, you know, ageism as well. So it's so important for us to push, push back. But this is not just a workplace problem, right? It's also a larger cultural problem. Um, and I, you said something in your book that really resonated with me. So I wrote it down. And you say, quote, ageism is insidious because not only does it rob people of the right to choose when they're ready to retire, it perpetuates the narrative that a person's value diminishes with every year they age. And yeah. that's heartbreaking. And and that's not just, you know, true in workplaces. People feel that, um, you know, maybe culturally as well. Or you might feel it in the other sort of domestic spheres that you have in your lives. What can we all do to push back against this? Uh, what can listeners who, you know, you said something in your book that made me laugh. You said we don't have anti-aging marches you know like we march against guns we march against racism we we march for social justice we march for certain things you know we're not marching around this topic what can we be doing that can that you truly believe will drive change i think it's just open our like this sounds so cliche but open our eyes and open our hearts and open our minds to just literally seeing everybody. I I think if there was one word that I heard more consistently than any other when I interviewed older people who'd sort of experienced that, it was in the word invisible. And they, they, in different scenarios, so it's not like they all used it in the same way or this happened and that, you know, they were all like sort of different things happening, but they just felt suddenly not seen. And if you're not seen... (laughs) You're not going to be heard. You're not going to be valued. You're not going to be understood. And, you know, as you said that this is like a societal issue, like I, my own mother sort of helped me see this. So she's, um, you know, 86, still, you know, very sharp, but having, you know, some health challenges and sort of having some things. And then, you know, and so I started saying, you know, I'd really like to go to this doctor's appointment with you. I want to be your advocate, you know, and and everything in my intention was pure and good, I thought, until the first time I did it, I went in and, you know, the doctor just talked to me and wasn't, was like my mom. And, and so then I kept trying to redirect the conversation back to her. Well, mom, do you, you know, like what? And it is just, it's, it's, that's why it's insidious. Like I, that was a lovely doctor who did not necessarily mean to be hurting my mother's feelings. It probably did have other patients who couldn't necessarily have had the cognitive abilities that my mom had, but my mom got quiet, you know, and, 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 and that's just sort of what happens when we don't see people and acknowledge their humanity and their contributions. um, Sometimes we get quiet 
Yeah. And then those contributions diminish. And so I would say that what we can all do in the workplace is, um, you know, we sometimes have to overcorrect until we get it right. So if your workplace doesn't have an employee resource group for older workers, start one. You know, if you see somebody that you've never really tried to sit down and have a conversation with you because they're in a different department or you can't relate because you're 30 and they're 60, like ask him for coffee or, you know, to do Zoom coffee or something. Just really like acknowledging that you need to work harder yeah, to we, we need to we need to raise orders. we need to raise our antennas around this. I mean, I find my, I find myself having to check myself sometimes when I find myself, you know, using ageist language that we just kind of unconsciously have absorbed into our vernacular. You know, we talk about senior moments. I've been trying to make sure I don't say that any longer. You know, it's we can do things, we can do small things in our own life. You know, I, in addition to yeah. this podcast, you know, I feature women in midlife who are up to amazing things. Um, every single Monday, I've also launched a, a sister account over on Instagram. It's called Age Out Loud, and it is spotlighting stories of women who are doing exactly that, you know, who are calling out their age, who are, you know, sharing what they're up to, um, the, the, creative projects, the businesses they're launching, they're talking about making huge changes to their lives that require bravery, like ending relationships or getting sober or or making enormous changes. And it's such a vibrant um, time of life. And I, I think that we need to really be helping shift the narrative by being willing to age out loud, because until we do so, you know, people are going to, if we hide our age, it, it makes it seem like it's something to be ashamed of. No, exactly. And I love your senior moment. Um, you know, it, it is still sort of considered okay for someone to say, oh, you know, Patty, you're just, I guess you're having a senior moment. I always flip the script and I say, could you imagine going up to an African-American and say, oh, I guess you're having an African-American moment. Or, you know, oh, that's a gay thing. You know, like right. we are so we would, much we would never, better. Right. Yes. Yeah. We would not. We would say, oh, my God, that's terrible. You know, now. And again, I'm not saying we've solved all these things because there's still plenty of bias everywhere to go around. But we still just need to kind of we just need to take a step, an extra step, I think, in the conversation around age to help people even see that it's a problem. Yes. And I then, have, Patty, I've got one tactical piece of advice, too, that people might want to take on in their own lives. And you can apply this. It doesn't have to be in the workplace. I had a wonderful guest who came on who talked about the importance of finding an age mentor, you know, finding somebody who's ahead of you in chronological years and, um, you know, learning from them or, or, or sort of being inspired by the way that they are they're living their lives. And I have some age mentors in my own life. I've shared this before. It's my mother, my mother-in-law. They are, um, you know, up to incredible things constantly. And it makes me feel like, um, you know, 70 and almost 80 can be amazing because I'm watching yeah. it firsthand. So, you know, it's important to sort of move it outside of our, our sort of age bands that we sometimes get put into. You know, we're no longer sitting, you know, at the middle school lunchroom. You don't have to only hang out with people in your class. You know, you, you are welcome to go have other people in your class. And that's something that's simple you could do. You could do that in your church or your synagogue or you know, in a volunteer role, you could, you know, do that if you join a running club, you know, there, there's just a lot of different ways to 
um, surround yourself with people in different age demographics, which I think really can help, you know, sort of shift this narrative that we're talking about. Patty, no, that's I, d- great. I will be borrowing that advice and sharing that. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. It really, it's like inspiring. But I, yeah. I, I do want to ask you something. I know you, you wrote this book originally in 2019, and it was called I'm Not Done. And then you reissued it with the, the new and improved title of I'm Still Not Done in 2022. A lot changed. You wanted to address the changes that happened during the pandemic. Um, you know, pre, you know, uh, older Americans were and older, you know, global citizens were more adversely impacted by the pandemic due to, um, you know, to deaths and illnesses, and that had a sort of a, an insidious knock-on effect about the way we perceive the health and vitality of older people. But you also uh, reissued this book to add a chapter on gendered ageism. Why did you choose to add that particular chapter? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it was out of sort of remorse or guilt that I didn't include more about it the first time around. But to be fair to myself a little bit, the, the you know, it is the one form of discrimination that impacts all of us. Yes. I have known many men who were impacted by it. So I just sort of thought I was trying to build an army, you know, and so if I don't you know, if I, if I make this about everybody, the army will be bigger. But I heard from a lot of people um, who told me, you know, basically, come on, Patty, you know, it's worse for women. Like, why didn't you talk about that? You know, it is. And, um, and then I had the experience in this last, you know, the job that I had, like during the pandemic of working with a bunch of women, mostly my leadership team was all women who were, you know, navigating this crazy new world of, you know, trying to do homeschool and take temperatures and do all this stuff and work full time and do all of this. And I, I'm not saying that there weren't fathers and husbands that were also impacted by this, but the fact remains that women are still the ones that take on the majority of the responsibility for those kinds of things. And so, as we know, you know, in retrospect, um, women, were left the workforce in higher numbers than men voluntarily, you know, and voluntarily is kind of a false word because they voluntarily left because they felt like they had to. to right, the, of, si- the system was failing them and, and pushed yeah, them out. Yeah, managed through There's, like, no, there, there's there was, no child care support. There's, right. you know, the, 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 the pay gap, the fact that there's, you know, there's so many systemic issues that make it harder. And, you know, and, and so for for women over 50, I mean, your book has a lot of fascinating data. We're not going to dive into it all now, but I, I would encourage listeners to buy this book. It's so interesting. There's a lot of great metrics in there, but it, it is infuriating. It is harder for women over 50 to, to find a job and, 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 and things that um, impact the way you talk a little bit about, you know, the, the appearance, the lookism. Looks. Yeah, I never even, sure. I've never even heard the word lookism before, but that's another ism, you know, sure. um, I mean, that, that where women, you know, it's, you're, you're punished for going great. We have a multi-billion dollar anti-aging beauty industry, right. you know, that in and of itself, why should anybody be anti-aging? Does that mean you're pro-dying? You know, and so, and yet we are conditioned to believe, and like you said, so much of ageism comes from sort of some of these external marketing messages that we've been fed our whole lives, but that I don't, you know, I wrinkles are bad, gray hair is bad, and I have to get my teeth bleached because when my teeth aren't as white anymore, it might show that I've gotten older, you know, all of these things that... And, you know, I always say, look, if you want to do those things, you are choosing to do those things because it makes you happy, go for it. But if you are doing those things because you think it's necessary to preserve your job security, that's screwed up. 
you know, I mean, not, and not by the person, by, yeah, the, no, system. It's by the system, the system sailing it or right. failing them. So, so yeah, so women have, you know, the lookism situation, they, and even before the pandemic, you know, some women were frankly voluntarily saying, you know what, I want to take these five years when my kids are small and, and, you know, and, but the problem is then they step back into an ageist workplace that much older, but with those five years where they weren't gaining political allies and experiences and all those other things. And so they are more likely to be a victim of ageism as a result of some of those things. So, you know, it's just the deck is a little bit more stacked, I think, um, against women when it comes to the war on ageism than it is on men. Absolutely. But, you know, we're going to be uh, heading into our speed round shortly because we're nearing the end of our time together. And we've talked a lot about, you know, the insidious and sort of pernicious way that ageism impacts us all. But your book also shares reasons to be optimistic, right? You know, um, there are shifts that you've seen. You've also seen that some companies are making a difference and trying to move the needle on this important diversity initiative in their ranks. Can you share um, one of the reasons to be optimistic or even a quick example of a company that's that's doing the right thing and turning the tide? Yeah, I'll, one example was actually in my first book anonymously as a negative example because they forced somebody out. Um, and one of their um, HR people actually read the book and I think might have suspected because they knew me and knew, you know, that, that I might have had access to this story. And... Um, they invited me to come and speak to their company and talk about age. And they did an audit and understood that there, as a, it's, it was Leo Burnett, which I call them out because I want to praise them, um, you know, a very storied advertising agency in Chicago. And they did a census and discovered that the vast majority of their employees were under 40 and that if they looked at their client base, they had a lot of clients who were marketing to consumers over 40. And so they recognized, what are we doing? Like, why don't we have a more age diverse employee population? And so that was the first thing is they they were honest enough to sort of look in the mirror and say, we've got a problem. The, as I said, they invited me to speak at this event. Then they created an employee resource group called Sages, which was originally created um, as basically like a support group for employees over 40 to discuss the issues that they faced in the advertising industry in general and at their company. But it evolved, which thrilled me to no end, into a, you know, it's still Sages, and it's but it's open now to all ages. And so there are, and this is another reason that I'm optimistic about the future, there are a lot of employees who have joined this resource group in their 20s and 30s who just simply want to get to know and learn from their older colleagues. And that gives me hope. That gives me optimism because, you know, it's just like the more that we sort of know a person who is older instead of a demographic, you know, the more that we're going to understand, oh, my God, they're, you know, they're still really with it or vital or have a lot. I can learn a lot from them or, you know, they can learn from me and I'll help them understand this better. And so it's just sort of humanizing and building relationships at a multi-generational level. And it since has gone from, you know, a Leo Burnett initiative, they're owned by a holding company, like a lot of agencies are these days. And now it's throughout their whole holding company. So I'm really proud 
you know, that in my first book, they were kind of a villain. Um, and in my second book, they're one of the heroes because I think they've done a great job. And that is a fantastic story. We love we love a turnaround story. We love a reinvention. Um, we're going to be moving into our speed round. But I do want listeners who are thinking I'm too old for that. I'm worried about my career. I feel like I'm being sidelined. I want to encourage you to to, to buy this book. You know, there, there are wonderful chapters on, as we said, gender and ageism, the dollars and cents of ageism in the workplace. You'll hear from stories. You'll hear stories of people and what they've experienced that you might emphasize with. You, you make a number of recommendations on how to get it right in your organization. You have, you know, 10 steps to creating change. A lot of really good practical, tactical advice that I think people would really benefit from. Um, Patty, thank you so much for this. We're doing our speed round right now. It's one to two word answers. Um, so let's do this. Writing, right. writing I'm not done yet was? Fantastic. Um, love it. So I know the answer to this question, but I think it's really important to emphasize. Is age a protected legal status? Yes or no? Yes. Fantastic. At what age does ageism start to rear its head in most workplaces? It can be as early as 40s. Okay. Way too early. Um, name one skill that aging gave you that eluded your younger self. Perspective. I 100% agree. Love it. Okay. This is an often overlooked asset that older workers bring to a multi-generational workplace. Equanimity. Okay. That is such a fantastic word. Uh, your book and personal brand is I'm Still Not Done. What is the last new thing you learned or tried? I didn't try it, but I learned about jujitsu because my grandkids are into it. All right. That is fascinating. I know nothing about jujitsu. I love that you're learning about it. Um, finally, your one word answer to complete the sentence, as I age, I feel. Responsible to get it right. Love it. We all do. Um, Patty, thank you so much for spending time today. I so enjoyed reading your book, learning your insights on this such an important topic. We all need to do whatever we can to push back against ageism, not just for ourselves, but for the, the generations that are coming behind us. It's important to get this story right. Um, before we say goodbye, how can our listeners find you, your book, and continue to follow your advocacy work on ageism? Well, my website is simply my name, Patty templerocks.com. And that's Patty with an I. And certainly the easiest place to find my book is on Amazon. And I welcome, I respond to every question or inquiry I get. So um, it helps me to hear from you. So thank you so much for including me um, on your show. Absolutely. I'll put all of that into the show notes. Thank you, Patty. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Thank you for tuning in, spending time, and being a friend of the show. If you learned something new, nodded along, took mental notes, or feel smarter, energized, or more inspired after tuning in, I would so appreciate a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts. Because reviews really matter, they help other women find the show and help the show grow. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties.